Welcome back to another episode of All in the Library with your host, Leslie Nicholson. That's me. I'm a middle school librarian and my co-host. And I'm Debbie Sewell. I'm a high school librarian. So without further ado, let's get started with our next episode where we interview author Lynn Kelly. Thanks for joining us, Lynn. We are so excited. We are so honored to have author Lynn Kelly, the wonderful author of A Song for a Whale. And uh, we were so excited to have you as our guest um, a few weeks back at our Battle of the Books competition that we had, where we had 22 elementary schools compete and seven middle schools compete. Um, and your book was actually one featured on our Battle of the Books list. So it was doubly exciting for our students. They were so excited to see you and to hear you talk about Song for a Well. And so I'm glad that we're able to bring it and get to more people. So let's just go ahead and kind of dive in. Um, I know that we uh, people are probably may, may be aware, maybe not aware, but go ahead and talk to us about your inspiration on this book. And then, you know, we'll, we'll take some questions from there. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad I could join you again today. And I, I loved being at the Battle of the Books event. I had so much fun talking to readers again. It's so nice to see people face to face. I'm, I'm so thankful for virtual visits since that's all we've had um, for the past couple of years. And I love visiting with readers, but it's not quite the same as getting to see you face to face. Okay, so uh, this book started, the idea uh, came to me when I found out there is a real whale like this, like the one in the book who sings a song unlike any other. So this uh, so-called lonely whale in real life is called the 52 Hertz whale um, because that's the frequency um, he sings at. Normally a whale is, uh, a whale song is much lower, uh, maybe 10 to 20 Hertz, which is far below um, any sound that humans use. Um, even 52 is low for us. It's a low note of a tuba. Um, but for a whale that's um, screechingly high and is not understandable apparently because this whale has a song that is is unlike any other whale and probably um, other whales can't understand him. And so I was fascinated by this whale and I, I was surprised I hadn't heard of him before because he's been around since the late 1980s that we know of, maybe longer, but that's the first time someone heard this whale song and recognized it as a whale song that is uh, just really strange because um, it's so much higher than than it should be. And so I kept thinking about this whale, like waking up at four in the morning, which is really unusual for me. I, I like my sleep, <laughs> but I was waking up thinking, what's that whale <laughs> doing and what's his life like? And is he is he aware he doesn't sing like anything else? And is he is he thinking something will eventually answer back? Does he care? I, I hope he just loves singing a song, you know, all these impossible questions. I love thinking about. And I think that's the kind of thing we look for as writers is, are these ideas that don't let us go and that lets us know, okay, I, I need to write something about this. I need to figure out a story. So it all started with that, with that lonely whale. And and I had to come up with a character who would be fascinated like I was, but feel such a strong connection. She would have to, to do something about it, to get up and go try to track him down. Yes, I, I love the character Iris, and yes, um, I just think she's got so many different facets of her. What was the inspiration for Iris? Because she does, she fixes radios, she's deaf, and she's fascinated. She's so unique. Tell us about that. 
Right, and we, we, we want that for our characters. We want them to be good, uh, complex characters, not all good, not all bad, um, just like real people. And I, I aim to develop a character that we feel like could be a real person we would know. And I, I think that um, helps us enjoy the story and helps us uh, kind of fall into the story and feel like we're part of it. And also as a writer, if we really know our character, that helps us to write the story too, because we know how they'll respond. So I uh, was thinking about, okay, who's this character now? I, I have the whale that whoever this character is is going to be obsessed with and trying to find. Who is that? Who would do that? Um, well, for some reason, it would need to be a, a person who feels like um, she's alone, even when other people are around and can't communicate with those around her. And after a couple of days, I thought, oh, wait, I, I am around people who have that experience every day. I interpret um, sign language and I've been doing that for a long time. And I guess because it is part of my everyday life, it, it took me a couple days you know, to, to realize, oh wait, you have <laughs> you have um, the material for this right in front of you. Um, that's the experience of a lot of deaf people I've known, that they were one of a few deaf kids in school or um, maybe the only one. It's very common for uh, deaf people to grow up in families um, who don't sign, because um, for almost all deaf people, you know, this is the only deaf people their family has ever known. And for different reasons, there are families who just never learn sign language or never learn it well. Um, it is hard to learn another language. And on top of that, if um, if you're looking for advice, um, you know, looking for, you know, what do I do now? I don't have this experience or this knowledge. And you look to experts and um, some still give advice that, um, you shouldn't learn sign language because that will um, hinder their ability to learn English. Um, wow. I think that's getting better. I think there's a shift, but I still hear uh, people getting that advice. Meanwhile, and, and deaf people have noticed this too, um, there are programs um, and classes for teaching sign language to hearing babies because that will help their language development. So, you know, deaf people have noticed, wait, how is it good for them but it's bad for us um it, which wow. which is it um but i think we we know now and more people are aware now that that learning one language does not um impede your progress in some other language it, it you know all all language you know can inform the other and the brain is very good at picking up different languages especially when you're very young mm -hmm. so all that to say um there is that experience of isolation um that a lot of deaf people experience even when they're around other people or it could be especially around other people when there are you know people here to interact with if only they could share a language uh, and they don't so there's this isolation there so that's where my character would be um, I knew that she would be the only deaf kid at school you know surrounded by others yet alone and learns about this whale and uh, feels like they have a similar life this whale is surrounded by ocean life but cannot communicate with those around him so Iris learns about this whale and uh, thinks, uh, yeah, I, I know that song that he's singing. I, under I understand that. So um, she decides she has to do something to reach out to him. So I was interested, you know, you said that you didn't know about him, about the whale. When, how did it come to your attention? Oh, it's actually just um, something I stumbled upon um, hanging out on Twitter one day. So it just... Interesting. Past and I'm, yeah, just one of those things where it, if, you know, I, I were on there a second later, um, I wouldn't have <laughs> seen it or, or if it just, you know, flew by and um, I didn't scroll back to see, oh, what was that whale picture about? 
Um, so yeah, saw that and you know, I, it helps that I, I love animals, I love ocean life. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to see, oh, what was that long caption on a whale picture about? And then read, oh, there's this whale um, called 52 Hertz or 52 Blue, who has a song that other whales don't understand. And so from there, I, I had to look up what, what's the deal with his whale? Um, <laughs> why? And, and, yeah. and I found out we really don't know. And I, I did find some articles about him and I found that's that's all we know. Um, we don't know why his song is so unusual. Um, could be that he's a hybrid. So for the, the, uh, the book, the fictionalized version, I decided to make it a known hybrid whale. Um, some scientists have that that good guess, that hypothesis that um, maybe he's a hybrid of a blue and a fin whale um, because they occasionally have calves together, not often, but it happens. Um, but because the song has um, similarities to blue whale songs and fin whale songs, in either case, way too high. But because of that, um, that similarity in the pattern, that's a good guess. Maybe, maybe that's why he sings an unusual song. Could be something else about him. Could be something um, about his body that's different and you know, comparing him to a musical instrument again, if uh, something is um, shaped differently, you know, bent or cracked or something, if we're talking about a musical instrument, it would play a different kind of song. The sound would be different. Could be with this whale too, especially because they they don't sing like we do. They have the, like the sound goes through their body, um, like in big um, like cavities all through their body. So if anything is shaped differently, the sound will be different. Well, after uh, so reading um, after reading your book, I was so inspired that I actually did some research and on it and watched the the documentary that you had yes. talked about the long the loneliest whale. But what kind of research did you do? Because you go to different places and there's a cruise and you go to Alaska. It really was inspiring. Yes, uh, so I read all that I could, and only um, a couple weeks after deciding to write this story and still figuring out what it would be. I um, got the opportunity to work on an Alaskan cruise for a week, interpreting for a deaf couple who was taking a cruise. Um, I only had a couple weeks to prepare for it, um, which is not enough time really for, for a trip um, you know, that far away from home. Um, and like Iris's parents said, we can't just drop everything and go to Alaska, but I had to drop everything and go to Alaska. I couldn't pass that up. Um, so, because ideally we can see the setting that we're working with, that really helps us with the, the details in the story. If we can see what our characters will be seeing and experiencing, uh, we can't always do that. But if we can, um, that's ideal because we can see things and uh, pick up on things that we would never find in any amount of reading. So I did that. And of course, it was a lovely time to be away from Houston in late <laughs> July, early August, um, mm. sailing past glaciers. Oh, and for sure. I, you know, loved the work that I did there, and it was a great place to work. And uh, best of all, I, I had some downtime, and even when I was actively working, I was still taking in the sights and, you know, sailing past glaciers and seeing whales and all of that. Waves, so a lot of these um, details that made it into the story. Were the waves really big? I mean, did you get some? No, um, it wasn't the, the um, maybe on a, a smaller boat. We went on a whale watch because mm -hmm. I did get to do that uh, for one of those. Um, but I don't remember any big waves. And I think I had heard that about Alaskan cruises because yeah. um, I did have a concern about about seasickness. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I had heard that's not a big concern with the Alaskan cruises. Um, like it's not an area where the, the waves um, 
usually get very big. So it's, it's normally uh, pretty smooth. Oh, that's there. great. So when you went on your whale watch tour, did you get to see any of them breaching? Uh, we actually, uh, we did, but we also saw them from the ship. So in the, the scene, like, um, like Iris sees when she's on, on the cruise ship and there are, there's a huge pot of humpback whales breaching near the ship. We, we did see that. So that was like our, our free whale watch right <laughs> there on the ship. Um, and then, um, but the, one of the, the deaf passengers wanted to go on a whale watch. And I think this was on the second cruise that I did because um, I got to go again a year later. So when I was uh, finishing up the book, um, of course, this is fast forwarding past much writing and revising, um, but I was wrapping it up and knew the story and I got to go on a cruise again and work for a different um, set of deaf passengers on a, a different route. So I got to see some other sites and one of those passengers wanted to go on a whale watch. So. Of course, I had to go. That's the job. Um, so, you know, any, anything I did, I would have enjoyed doing on my own. Um, and so on that one, um, we saw some humpbacks. And um, actually when, because um, they, the people who run the, the uh, whale watch ships, they have like their, I don't know if they call them radars, but they have these, they have instruments that um, they can, where they can find where the, the whales are. So they know where, where to go. And we were right, we knew there were humpback whales like right under us or right near us, and they just weren't surfacing. So as soon as we, you know, gave up and, and drove on, we heard this huge splash behind us. And so there was a humpback whale that, that breached like right as we left. Uh, but then we did see some orcas. So and we saw an orca family. So that, that was fun. It was a, a mom and dad and a little baby orca we saw so oh. yeah for two different so two different trips and I, I saw both humpbacks and orcas about how long did it take you to do all that to do your writing oh so this um it was it was about a year from the idea to finish a draft that I felt like was was ready to send to editors mm -hmm. um I do a lot of revision on my own but I I do um other revision from feedback I get from other writers so um we those of us who are published authors, we still need feedback from other people. It's harder to see in your own work what needs to be done. So we um, trade pages and give feedback to one another. And so after all of that, um, figuring out the story, writing it, revising it, um, then it was ready to send to editors. And it was about a couple months, um, which isn't too bad, um, before an editor said, yes, let's um, turn this into a book. Um, there were, you know, a couple different editors interested and so after that though there's always more to do <laughs> there's always more revision um if, and even then after an editor says yes let's um, let's publish this book it's going to be a year and a half to two years before it's a final book on the bookshelves um right. just because there's there's more work to do there are multiple people who work on the edits of course there's the lovely cover to design and they're, the publishers are busy. They're working on other books that are sort of in line ahead of this one. So a year and a half to two years after that, yes, um, until the final book is ready. Um, and so my editor had said, uh, this is a good, strong draft. I don't think you need much revision. Um, oh, here's a six-page letter with the revisions I would like you to do. <laughs> which, is, which is, again, really normal. Yeah, now some of that is, oh, here's, here's what I love. This is really working. And a lot of it is, and here's what you could do to make this stronger. So, and some of those revisions, um, and I, I think probably most authors would say this too, that some are, are easy to tackle and others seem like they're impossible. This this can't work. Um, 
So those I would just have to set aside and it could be, it might even be a week or two, but then I'll be, you know, walking my dog or washing dishes or something and it'll hit me. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Now I know how to do that. So it takes a while. It's like the brain is working on it back there, um, but it takes some time for it to come together. So um, I always consider all the feedback at least and think about um, there's a reason the editor brought it up. So even if I um, fix it a way that's uh, different than the editor was thinking, there's a reason that they, they stopped and that part of the book wasn't quite working. So I want to at least look at that and think about how to make that stronger. So, um, and then as it gets, um, as it gets closer, there are other rounds of revision, but they, they get smaller then. Um, so that's they, good. <laughs> yeah, the easier stuff is, is saved for the end. So the, at the beginning, it's more big picture things like this character isn't believable in this part or this, I don't think she would do this or, um, and so then I would need to, am I going to change what this character does or do I need to set it up? This is why she's doing it. So it, it is believable. So um, we do sometimes act in ways that are out of character, but it needs to make sense for that, that scene or that part of the story. So, um, so yeah, those are some of the, the bigger picture things that come up. Now you said that um, other people in some kind of author's group help you with your revising. Tell us about that a little bit. Right, so uh, every couple of weeks I meet with a group of other authors, um, like usually like six or seven of us, and we trade chapters um, with whatever we're working on. Some of those are picture books, some of those are nonfiction chapters, um, some are novels. And so we um, trade chapters and read them out loud uh, for one to see how they sound, because um, sometimes that'll surprise you. Things don't, don't sound like you, you think they will when you, you write them down. Um, and then we all um, give some feedback on that. Um, like this, this part stopped me. I had to read it again because it wasn't clear and which we don't want. We want you to be lost in the story and not have to stop and figure out what's happening. Um, or here's where the, um, the character I think would do something different or I wasn't sure what she was thinking here. Um, here's where it could be stronger. Here's a scene you don't need. Um, or here's you know part where I need another scene because it's uh, there's something happening and I'm not following it. Um, so all kinds of feedback we get. Now, how did you find this group to join? Oh, this one I actually um, kind of uh, crashed this group with mm. another, <laughs> with another writer, um, and they actually they they are in in Kingwood, even though I live in Conroe, but I drive to Kingwood to meet with this group. So I was um, I had been meeting with a group closer to home. And this is one where there were there were more people um, who would kind of come and go, and some groups are more fluid like that. Um, and this group that I meet with is um, like a core group of you know six or seven that meet consistently. And some groups are are open for people who want to, you know, sometimes come, sometimes not, um, and it it varies. Um, but I had I had this group here, and I think I found them because I I probably looked up. Um, when I was first starting, looked up writing groups and I found uh, what's called the SCBWI, that's Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Yes. And I found there was this critique group that, that met um, pretty close to me. And so I started meeting with them and uh, getting feedback on what I was working on then. And uh, one day the, um, the person who, who ran this group said um, that he had a spinoff group that was meeting Kingwoods that was a uh, from a um, <laughs> a member who who used to meet with with his group 
and then after you know i don't know how long but decided um she would like to start a group closer to home and started this group in kingwood and he said do you want to go visit them and uh, i said sure let's go show up at the kingwood group and they were they were more of an open group at that time too and so we just showed up at the at the library the older um kingwood library at that time and so uh yeah we just showed up to sit down in their group and um get feedback on what we were working on too and i i really clicked with them and i think it was mutual because <laughs> i don't know that was probably like 2009 it was before i was published um so like yeah 2008 or 2009 um and then i just kept going so i'm, well, I'm in it now this is song for whales your second book you have chained which is yes. the first and we know that you you have said on your website that you uh, were a special ed teacher um, and then the interpreter. So where do you go from from doing those to deciding to write a book? And I mean, obviously, your love of animals, you've got that enchained. And, you know, so I just right. tell me a little bit about that. because uh, I just find it fascinating. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So it was while I was teaching um, special ed that I got the idea for my first book, Chained. And that one too started with an animal that I was fascinated with. And I had found out, or apparently, um, if a, a young elephant is captured for like a, you know, say a rundown circus show um, or some kind of performance to be a, a, a performing animal, um, it'll struggle really, really hard to break free. And then when it gives up, it gives up forever. So then decades later, you could have this full grown elephant who could easily break away from this little rope or chain holding it in place. Uh, but it won't because it tried that and failed and it, it won't try it again. And of course, the speaker's point was nothing to do with elephants. It was, you know, don't be like an elephant if you if you fail at something. We keep trying until until we succeed. Um, and I love elephants, but if that's true about them, then yeah, that's one way we should not be like them. And I just, I kept thinking about that. Um, and then thinking, um, oh, it might be an interesting story, you know, to tell my students at school about this. If I wrote down a little story, sort of like a picture book um, about a young elephant who could get home if only she knew she could break away. If only she knew she was strong enough, she could get back home. So I like that image of home being just out of sight um, and you know, success being, being or just in sight if we could just get there. And so it started there and then um, somehow I started thinking, oh, maybe this is, if this is any good, it's for a bigger audience then. And I could figure out how do I write a whole book and <laughs> how <laughs> that published, um, then I have to work that out. So it grew from there. And it was at that, that first um, critique group I went to uh, that was nearby where the, um, well, the, the writer who, who runs that thankfully noticed um, this story seems like it's not a picture book like you're aiming for. This seems like you need the room of a novel to tell it. There's something mm -hmm. bigger here. And I had not even thought of that. And at the time I was thinking, oh, a novel, that's a lot of words. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But now I look back and think, oh, a picture book, that's so few words. <laughs> you tell a story with so few words, that's hard. Um, so at least a novel, you, you have a lot of space. You have plenty of room to tell your story. Um, and so then I, uh, I thankfully ran with that and um, just started writing it one chapter at a time, figuring out the story. And it was, you know, later, you know, again, added the, the human character who would be a caretaker for this little elephant and 
um, also also trapped, you know, not not physically, you know, ch chained up or tied up, but not allowed to leave. So I have this uh, this caretaker who could um, who would love to get back to his own home and help the elephant get back to hers, even though they've become um, good friends and it would mean it would mean saying goodbye. But he knows this is this is what's best for both of them if they could break away from this place and get home. So that's where that story started. Another thing about a, a large mammal. So what's next for you? Do you have any other large mammal books in the um, works? Not yet. I, yeah, I, I probably will always have an animal in the story. I'm so fascinated with animal behavior and communication and thinking about uh, how we're similar and how we're different. Um, I have um, written a story about a, a boy who takes care of an injured octopus one summer. Um, they're also fascinating, but so different from us, like probably more different than an animal could be. Um, I'm working on- oh, Yeah, I watched now. the um, octopus, my octopus keeper. Oh, my octopus teacher was so good. Yes, oh my gosh, so I didn't realize that would be a fascinating right. animal to um, write about. I, I love that, yeah. So it's, it, it helps if you are writing about something you're interested in, because you're gonna be mm -hmm. with the story for a long time. Um, I'm working on something now about birds. And it's mm. a very, very Texas story. And it's not official yet, but I'm hoping it'll be my next um, published book. I have to get the, um, you know, again, the, the yes from my editor. So this will be the same, um, the same publisher as Song for a Whale, because when they took on Song for a Whale, they said, we'll do, we'll publish this one and your next book. Um, so now it means they have to nice. love the next book I give them and, and say oh. yes to it. So, so hopefully soon I'll be able to, uh, to turn in that draft and, um, We'll get the official yes on that. That'll have more more um, of an official announcement about it. Well, I was reading the news this morning when I was thinking about getting to talk to you today. I was so excited, and um, there was the oldest uh, gorilla uh, celebrated her birthday today. She's sixty five, so that's another big. Oh wow! Well, never know. So I thought actually in the um, yes, yeah. The, I mean, I don't know if anyone could do anything. Um, I always think of the one and only Ivan when I think of gorillas. Yeah, so that, that's, that's, a, that's a hard act to follow there. That is, that is. Um, but in the octopus book, there's actually a character um, in it who the, the main character befriends. And that family used to have a chimpanzee at home. Oh. So that's a, another, that's like a subplot in there um, about, a, about, so about a different ape then. So that was... That was fun to research too. I was actually going to write a story that that character was a, a main character in a different draft I was working on, and my um, agent read it and said, "I'm thinking this could be a character in another book." Or we were talking about both stories because I had the I had the chimpanzee story going, and I had uh, the character about this this kid who takes care of this octopus, and he's a He's a, a compassionate kid who loves books and loves animals. He has a dad who's none of that because um, that's that's a family dynamic I find fascinating because I wonder what is that like if you're just a good, you know, compassionate kid. And, you know, we've seen adults who are not showing examples of good behavior and are not being compassionate people. And I wonder what what that's like. So that's who this character is. And um, so it was my agent who noticed, I don't know, we were talking forever, it seemed. We were talking a long time about these stories and where to go with them because neither was really working out on its own. And then at some point she said, wait, maybe these two kids are friends and they're going to be in the same story. So that's that's where those came together. So now- Oh, that's a great idea. 
I love I that you. I think it's working that. out. Yeah. So so now the the story has the the main character um, Max is the the boy who um, finds an injured octopus and um, finds out who can who can help it and ends up you know helping out with that for one one summer and the um, the the family who has this sort of wildlife rescue they had had a um, a chimpanzee an orphan chimpanzee they'd cared for that. Um, that they, you know, didn't mean to get so close to, but um, just, you know, couldn't help it. And <laughs> this uh, little chimpanzee became kind of part of the family um, and was recently then um, sent to a sanctuary where she can be around other chimpanzees. But it was a difficult goodbye for them. So that's what that character is going through. Well, I know I'm real excited to see what you come up with next. And uh, I can't wait. I know that you are passionate. I see on your um, I think on Facebook and on your Twitter, you have always put little pictures with your dogs, which I think are adorable. <laughs> they they're are so they're, cute. They're cute. Yeah, they're down here too. <laughs> yeah, they always they like to they're stay by our side. Yeah. <laughs> so, but thank you so much for joining us. And um, if you are out there and haven't had a chance to read Lynn Kelly's books, make sure to pick up Chained or the newest one is A Song for a Whale. And keep your eyes open for what she's writing next. Oh, we know what that sound is. It's time for the lightning round. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> we talk about books and uh, book talk as fast as we can in one minute and see who can beat the other to win nothing. But it's a fun <laughs> time for all. Hopefully, as you listen, you'll hear some books that might interest you. And of course, you can always go to our site and find all of the names of the books and authors. All right. Are you ready, I, Leslie? Are you I, ready? Okay. I'm ready. Do you have all your timer ready? I do. Are you ready? On your mark, get set, go. Take Me Home Tonight by Morgan Matson. So it's set in New York City. Love it. Theater kids. So we're talking best friends who are trying to sneak into New York to get ready for this great memorable night. Best laid plans and all that, but it's not always what they plan. Their future, their friendships, their fears, even romance. Fun, quirky story. The Vanishing Deep by Astrid Scholte. I'm probably saying that wrong. It's a dystopian setting, world filled with only water. You've got secrets, people have died. And basically, what if you could revive someone for 24 hours and you could find the answer to those secrets? <laughs> and is that person even going to tell? The next one is The Reckless Club by Beth, Beth Verbal. Oh, I've got to learn to see people's names. The last day in middle school, you've got pranks being pulled. These pranksters, all, however, they all get caught and they get thrown together for one day in the summer to volunteer at an old folks home. And kind of think of like Breakfast Club and what happens when four people or five people in this case who don't know much about each other learn about each other. Then ding, we have ding, it. Ding, 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 uh, ding. Uh, look at me. I got three. You got four. I got four. One, What's two, the last one? It looked really the Breakfast Club S one. What's that one called? That's the Reckless Club. Get oh, it? It's called, oh, <laughs> oh, it's the Rex. So you did get three. So the Reckless Club. Yes, just the three. I love it. I love it. Those yeah. sounds fascinating. Yeah, these are all brand new books that I just got hold of um, for my collection. And I was so excited to get into those. So, yeah, very happy. So it is awesome. now Debbie's turn. Well, I have a just an interesting selection today. So let's see how many I can talk about. All right. And we're ready to start. Go. Oh, my favorite book that I've read this year is Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, the same guy that wrote The Martian. Oh my gosh, Rylan Grace, the protagonist, he wakes up, he doesn't know where he is, but he's on a spaceship and it's part thriller, it's part space adventure. I couldn't tear myself away from this book. Read it, it's awesome. 
Um, the next one is A Very Large Expansive Sea by Tahira Mafi, and it's contemporary. It's set in 2002, right after 9-11. Well, she's a Muslim girl living in America, and she wears a hijab, and she falls in love with the star basketball player who is named Ocean James. So find out what happens to her. Uh, in the Wildlife by Jeff Zentner. Oh my gosh, a pro uh, Project Lit selection. I think it's my favorite book he has ever written. It's set in Appalachia. Uh, the main character, Cash, lost his mother. She on a drug overdose. His best friend, um, her mother is into drugs. It's, you know, it's a tough place, but his best friend is very smart and gets a scholarship to this boarding school. Uh, can he leave Papa to go to the boarding school? It's awesome. Read it. You got three, two. I got three, it's two. a tie. It's a tie. We tied. We tied. Well, check out all these books and more. And uh, as we get ready to end up our school year, we'll have one more episode uh, before the end of the year that you can check out. Um, but don't forget, as we like to say here at All in the Library, put down that phone and pick up a book. Make it a great day. Mm -hmm.